Well, good morning everybody and we're into the Gospel and we're into part 5 this week. If you haven't, by the way, listened to part 1 to 4, I suggest you do that. Because it's really important that we listen to these things in context, isn't it? Because when we go into the scriptures today and you see the subtitle, you might think, oh, hold on, wow. Yeah. But if you understand what we've been through, through sessions 1 to 4, it starts to become much clearer to you. So we've got to not only read in context when we go to the scriptures, but we've got to listen in context, don't we? Because if you go and listen to somebody and you pull that thing out of context, you can basically make it mean whatever you want it to mean. So it's really important that we do that. And that will become very real for us today as we go into the sections of scripture that we're going into. That are so often misunderstood. Yeah? And they're misunderstood for a large part because they are taken out of context. They're pulled out, sucked out of the context for which they're set in, which God has set them in. Yeah? And pulled out very often by religious denominations and people who are trying to substantiate something that the scriptures maybe aren't actually saying. Yeah? And some people do that on purpose. And some of them don't do it on purpose, they do it in ignorance. Yeah, but whatever way they do it, it's harmful for the redeemed to come to an understanding of things out with the context with which it's set in Scripture. So it's really important that we do that. And today we're going to come to an understanding of some sections, particularly in the Gospel of John, yeah? Particularly in the Gospel of John that are so often misunderstood. They're so often misunderstood. And just watch how hard it will be for us to accept them when we read them and what they're actually saying, yeah? What they're actually saying. Not what you would like them to say, not what I would like them to say, but what are they actually saying? That sometimes can be very difficult for us to come to an understanding of, yeah? Now, have you found it challenging already in this series, yeah, to accept what the Scriptures are crying out to us? And we've already seen, the last time we were together, that Jesus Christ, our High Priest, is only there in His current ministry for those of us who are redeemed. Yeah? He is not there for the whole world. Just like when we went, when we went back into Leviticus and we saw the high priest of Israel, who was he there for? He was there for those who were called of God, the people of God, and he was ministering to them as the people of God. He was not there for the whole world. Our high priest today is doing exactly the same thing. He is ministering to the redeemed. He is ministering to those who are called of God, who come before him to that throne of grace. Yeah, we're going to see that again today. That is not what is taught, by the way, in the majority of the theological systems of this world today. We're going to see it today. The theological systems, for the most part, today are teaching that Jesus is there for everybody. He's there for the world. He's there for the whole world. That's not what the scriptures are teaching us. So we've got to go by what the scriptures say. Yeah, not necessarily what we've been taught, not necessarily what the majority are teaching, but what do the scriptures say? Now, before we do that, I want to warn you that over the next few weeks, yeah, we're going to be getting into some really tough sessions. If the, if the other sessions weren't tough, it's getting tougher. Yeah. Sessions that's going to challenge us to lift our game. Yeah. Have you ever heard that phrase? You've been involved in sports. You know, you see these uh, hockey coaches, these soccer coaches, they get into their team's face yeah, and say, you've got to lift your game. Yeah. In other words, you've got to do what's expected of you. Yeah? And that's the kind of sessions we're going to get into. Because you, do you realize Jesus continually did that with his team? And you realize we're on his team. <laughs> yeah? So we've got to be listening to what he says. We've got to be listening to what instructions he's given us yeah? as to how to lift our game. And we're going to be seeing that over the weeks to come. Now, you might be saying at this point, yeah, but have we not already been focusing on the redeemed? Yeah? Well, we have been. But we want to specifically focus over the next few weeks, not necessarily today, but over the next few weeks we're going to be focusing not just on the redeemed. Because we see in the scriptures there's a group within the redeemed who are specifically called. Yeah? Do you remember when Jesus Christ taught to the multitudes? And we've seen this over the last few weeks. He taught to the multitudes, but he turned around to the disciples and said, you're redeemed, same as they are, but given to you it's a special calling. You have eyes to see and ears to hear. The majority didn't, did they? The majority were scratching their head and saying, what the heck's he on about? Sores and seed. Sheep, what's he talking about? And the disciples had eyes to see and ears to hear. And he turned around to them and said, you have been called and this has been revealed to you. So over the next few weeks, we're going to be talking to not just the redeemed, 
But those who have eyes to see and ears to hear, it's going to be really critical for us to hear that. Because sometimes we can get really comfortable being, quote, the redeemed. <laughs> yeah? And sometimes we can get lulled into a false sense of security, particularly with the religious systems of this world, that when we hear somebody teaching the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven to come onto earth, we let our guards down. We think, oh, cool, there's somebody else out there teaching that. Yeah? And I, I did that this last couple of weeks. Yeah? I heard a guy who I, I've got a, a bit of respect for out there in the kind of theological systems of this world, and particularly prior to understanding the depth of scripture that we now understand in terms of the coming kingdom of Jesus Christ. And I, I started to look at his, his life and ministry. And look, I'm not here to judge people, and I'm not judging this guy either. Yeah? But I just want to show you what we're going to be doing over the next few weeks. That sometimes you can get sucked into this, you know, like we all have to some extent over our lives, because we get an element of comfort and we put our guard down and we start thinking, oh, well, you know, there's some truth here. Yeah, so I'm going to listen to this guy. Yeah. And I did this this week. I'm admitted to that with my hands up. And when I dug a little bit deeper, because I was quite surprised this guy actually believed in the kingdom. But anyway. Have you figured out something? And you should have figured this out already, having gone through what we've gone through over the past few weeks. Satan comes through the theological systems of this world. Did you hear that? He doesn't come virtually any other way other than through the theological systems of this world. Guess who told us that? Jesus Christ. So don't take my word for it. (laughs) Don't take my word for it. He taught us that thousands of years ago and we still don't hear it. Yeah? We put our guard down because somebody's talking about Jesus. We put our guard down because they believe in the kingdom. He is, he is coming and he will continue to come through the darnel, through the weeds of the theological systems of this world. Yeah? Now, this guy, as I said, is somebody I used to listen to a few years back. In fact, we used a teaching series of this guy in our church to teach a specific subject many years ago. Yeah, well, not many years ago, maybe a handful of years ago. So this is a man who believes in Jesus Christ with all his heart, soul, mind and strength. He believes in the second coming. He believes in the earthly reign of Jesus Christ right here on our earth. So this is not a guy who is a heretic by any stretch of the imagination. He's well respected in all the world. He's got a mega church. He's on all the TV channels. And he believes also in judgment. And as I said said earlier, I am not judging this guy. I just want you to listen to what is on his information as to what they teach. Did you hear that? What they teach. Now, over the last couple of weeks, we've been seeing that how Satan comes along and teaches a distorted gospel, doesn't he? But he's teaching a gospel. But it's distorted. And I want you to see the distortion here when I read some of this stuff. And this is verbatim, by the way, of what they teach. Yeah? So listen up to this now. And bear in mind as I'm reading this, the people who are reading this on their website yeah, have already read above this that they believe in the coming kingdom of Jesus Christ. Okay? So I want you to bear that in mind. But just watch the deceit. Just watch the subtlety with which Satan works in. Now the specific subject I'm going to touch on here is death. And this is what they teach about death. Okay? So I'm quoting this now. We teach that physical death involves no loss of our immaterial consciousness. Now I'm going to quote you verses as we go along here. And watch the verses. They're verses that you should all be very familiar with. And if you aren't, get onto our website and go on to our fathers who are not in heaven. We handle virtually every verse that he quotes here. To substantiate the dead are alive. So... Let me quote that again. We teach that the physical death involves no loss of our immaterial consciousness. Revelation 6, 9 to 11. That the soul of the redeemed passes immediately into the presence of Christ. Listen up. Luke 23, 43. If you're not familiar with that, it's a thief on the cross. We handle all these. He, He quotes here virtually every verse that we quoted in that series to show the dead are dead. He's quoting it. To show that the dead are alive. Luke 23, 43. Philippians 1, 23. I'm not going to go through all these verses. I'm quoting them so you can write them down and look at them later. 2 Corinthians 5, 8. 
are these ringing any bells for any of us? They're virtually the only verses that people come up with to substantiate that they are alive. That's exactly what they're doing here. I go on to quote. That there is a separation of soul and body. Philippians 1, 21 to 24. Ring any bells? And that for the redeemed, such separation will continue until the rapture. 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 to 17. Which initiates the first resurrection, Revelation 24 to 6. When our soul and body will be reunited to be glorified forever with our Lord. Philippians 3.21. 1 Corinthians 15.35-44. Verse 50-54. to These are all the verses that we've used to show for, without a shadow of a doubt. Are they difficult verses? They are. But they're verses that clearly state in the context. Yeah? And if you take the thief on the cross, read the verse before that. See what it's talking about. Anyway, still quoting another verse here. Sorry, another sentence. Until that time, the souls of the redeemed in Christ remain in joyful fellowship with our Lord Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.8 You cannot get any more wrong than that in the scripture. So that means that all the redeemed of Christ are with Christ. In the holiest of holies, They'd all be dead. They'd all be dead. So do you see the subtlety? You get sucked in with some truth and you end up having to believe the lie. And the lie was covered in the Women's Bible Study. If you want to go on there and study it in detail, it's on our website in the Women's Bible Study. right? Because we don't. Right. We don't have joyful fellowship with the Lord Jesus Christ and the holies of the holies. They are all asleep until the resurrection. If you and I die today, we will fall asleep with no consciousness until we are raised in the resurrection of Daniel 12. Too. Yeah. So I wanted to touch on that before we even start. <laughs> because over the next couple of weeks, yeah, we're going to be looking at the subtlety of how Satan operates. And I just... Just when that came up this, this past week, as I got into looking at this guy, I thought, my goodness, look at it, how subtle he works. Yeah? And how sharp we've got to become in the scriptures to know and understand this stuff. So the last couple of sharings have really laid the foundation for today, as I mentioned over the last couple of weeks. Because we've been in the Hebrew scriptures, haven't we, to see how the high priest of Israel was firmly focused on who? God's redeemed. God's redeemed. Right? He was only focused on God's redeemed. The outsiders were not in his focus. Yeah? Now remember I mentioned we were in Leviticus 16. Yeah? The last time we got together. And this is one verse we didn't cover then. And it refers to the strangers. Those outside. These are people now from other nations other than the redeemed of Israel that we've got to understand about. But there were also these uh, outsiders, these nations, were also expected to observe some of the instructions of God if they were hanging out with the redeemed. <laughs> yeah? And we're going to cover just uh, one verse here. Leviticus 16.29 says, And it shall be a statute to you forever that in the seventh month, right, and the context is talking about the Day of Atonement, them coming together to the high priest to receive that forgiveness of all their sins. Yeah? We're going into it the last time. On the tenth day of the month, you will afflict yourselves and shall do what? No work. So there was no work to be done. And they had to turn up. Remember that? We saw that last time we were together. And look at this. Either the native or the stranger who sojourns among you. So if they had Gentiles or if they had people from other nations among them at this time, they were not to do any work either. Right? So we've been seeing that God's focus has always been on his own redeemed. And we'll see that again today. So God is not interested in those who are not his redeemed. We're going to see that. They're, he's not interested. And that is so far from what people teach today that you will have many people not listening to this title, to this teaching, because of the title. So, when that happens, when people outside hear the truth of the scriptures, they can't believe them. Why can't they believe them? Because the molds, yeah, that they've often been pouring God into are so, are so rock solid now in people's minds, in the minds of the redeemed, 
And when they start to open up to what the scriptures are actually saying, it sounds so alien to them. It sounds the opposite to what they should be believing. Does that remind you of anybody? When Jesus Christ came to earth, they said he was from the devil. The opposite to who he was from. Yeah? Now, the same thing happened to the scribes and the Pharisees. Remember that? And they built so much of their own theology, their own molds around the scriptures, that they ended up magnifying their own theology above what the truth of the scriptures actually said. Yeah? Does that remind you of anybody today? Yeah? And just look at how Jesus described their, quote, evangelism. Now, we've touched on evangelism. I think this was the first session we got into evangelism and what evangelism is all about. But look at what Jesus thought of the evangelism of the scribes and the Pharisees. Now, bear in mind, virtually all of those around the scribes and the Pharisees' lives thought these guys were the top dogs for God. They thought they were the representatives of God of their day and time. Yeah? They thought they were the religious people of their time, and they looked up to them, and they held them in great awe. How wrong could they have been? Yeah? Now, listen up to how Jesus describes these guys. Right? Now, also bear in mind, the scribes and the Pharisees weren't all bad. And we're going to be touching on Nicodemus today. So they weren't all bad. Yeah, but some of them really were. And he nailed the ones that were. Yeah, look at Matthew 23.15. Matthew 23.15. And it says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees. So we know exactly who he's talking about, don't we? The religious people of his day. Hypocrites! Now, they weren't all hypocrites. So don't band them all together into one group, just like we don't band all the redeemed or all the religious people of this day and time into the same group. Yeah, but some of them were. Some of them were. And we know from the scriptures, like I said earlier, that some of the Darnell, growing up as weeds alongside the redeemed, are the sons of Satan, don't we? So we've got to look out. Hypocrites. Now look at this. For you travel across sea and land to make a single proselyte. Boy, did they put the effort in. So it wasn't because they didn't put the effort in that he was nailing them. They were missionaries for, for, for God. They would go over land and sea to get one guy. So over there in that other distant land, they found out there's a guy on their website interested in finding out what it's all about. And they go, right, let's pack up, guys. We're going to go get this guy. He's interested. Didn't make a bit of difference to Jesus Christ. Let's look at what he next says to him. He says, then... And when he becomes a proselyte, when you've got him over to your way of thinking, yeah, you make him twice as much a child of hell as yourself. Now, put yourself right next to the situation here. Yeah? What do you think the faces of all the people round about look like? Yeah? Now, is this guy insane? These, are the, these guys are doing the work. These guys are traveling. Land and sea. These guys are making proselytes for God. And Jesus is saying, no, you're making them twice the son of hell as yourself. Wow. Amazing. So do you think they were standing there saying, nice sermon, Jesus? Yeah? Oh, preach it, Jesus! No. Not at all. Not at all. I don't think they were. And they, in fact, accused Jesus of being from the devil himself. Remember that? Why? Because he was going about breaking all their molds. The molds that they were pouring God into, he was going about breaking them. And it's virtually no different for us today. Yeah. We have to realize that so much of what we hear today is another gospel. It's another gospel. Have you started to figure that out yet? That when you and I declare the truth of the coming earthly kingdom of Jesus Christ... But do you realize when we teach the opposite, when we teach the coming kingdom of Jesus Christ, and when we teach that people don't die and go immediately to heaven, what kind of response do you get? Not nice. Not nice. To put it mildly, and it's not going to get any better. Now what I'm not saying is that just because someone or a group of people get a negative response, that now means they must be teaching the truth. Do you know the Mormons do that? Mormons taught through their historical history throughout the time that because they were getting persecuted because they were getting killed because they, could, they, they had great torment oh, we're teaching the truth and that's because we're teaching the truth 
Now, you want to look at the history of the Muslim thing. You want to look at the history of any group that stands up for anything in this world. Yeah? And they can say the same thing. Yeah? So just because we're getting persecuted doesn't mean we're teaching the truth. Yeah? But believe me, when you do teach the truth, it's coming your way and it's coming my way. That's for sure because the scriptures clearly tell it to us. Yeah? So we have to be constantly comparing the gospels we're hearing, don't we? Because just because it's got Jesus in it, just because it's got Christ in it, just because it's got the kingdom of heaven coming to earth in it, doesn't mean we're hearing the truth. Yeah? We've got to be so sharp. We've got to understand it and we've got to listen to it all in context. And for the most part, we don't want to listen to it at all. Yeah? Because if you go up as to, you know, you look at what I just read there from that denomination. Yeah? And you get sucked into that lie. But what was the only good news Jesus spoke about? Yeah? What was his only gospel? So it's pretty simple. It's not, this is not something complicated. The gospel, the good news of his up and coming earthly reign right here on earth is a simple gospel. It's the one gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, have you heard that gospel of his coming earthly kingdom being taught on God TV recently? Have you gone on to GodTube on the web and heard that being taught? Or any other GodTube? You have to struggle to get it to hear it. Because it's, it's been lost. It's been hidden by the God of this world, Satan. And now they're teaching other gospels for the most part. So those teaching the gospel of, the, of Jesus Christ are always in the minority. Did you hear that? They're always in the minority. Can I say something else? Minute minority. <laughs> yeah? Minute minority. You're not going to have thousands of people in your fellowship, thousands of people in your church teaching us. Yeah. And it's astounding to us, I know that, for most of us, that when we go and proclaim, when we start to have eyes to see and ears to hear, and we think, oh, hold on, this is the only message of Jesus Christ. I'm going to go out here and teach the redeemed, and they're all going to listen, and they're all going to jump on board. They're not. They are not. So, today our subtitle, listen up, our subtitle is, Jesus did not die for the whole world. Now, you should have already picked this up from the last week, the last time we were together, because the title was, Jesus died for the redeemed. But it's funny how that title that I said earlier, you know, Jesus did not die for the whole world, has a different impact, doesn't it, when you listen to that. You can basically take on board, Jesus died for the redeemed, but that Jesus did not die for the whole world, we've got a problem with it. Right away. Why? Molds. It's a molds that we've set in our minds, set in our thinking, that God is unconditional love. You ever heard that? You never heard it from the scripture. Because there ain't a verse that says that. You know, virtually, you know that virtually every page of your Bible has got conditions on it. Yeah, that gives you a bit of a clue how God's, what God's thinking is. Yeah, It's conditional. Yeah. And we're going to see it again today. But remember we talked about us not initially realizing the implications of some of the truths we've been covering up to now. You know, for many of us, the penny has not dropped yet. Maybe dropping today, maybe a few things dropping today, when you hear Jesus did not die for the whole world. And the world, and I'm talking about the Christian world here, yeah, are virtually all teaching that our aim should be to win the world. You ever heard that? They put on campaigns. They spend millions of dollars putting on campaigns to win the world. And we should be focusing all of our efforts, all of our ministries and preaching to those outsiders who are not redeemed and winning them to Jesus and making them redeemed. That's what our objective is. That's what so many people teach. That that is our aim as Christian people to pin people into corners, get so many verses into them, get them exposed to the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ they might believe. Yeah. We're going to see it today. That is not the case. Because we saw it with Paul, didn't we? Remember way back when we looked at Paul winning some? He was winning the elect, wasn't he? he what was he winning the elect to? Understanding Jesus Christ as their Messiah. Read Romans 10. Read Romans 10. He's trying to get his redeemed Jewish brothers to understand that Jesus Christ is the, is the Messiah. That he is the, the road to their righteousness. Is taught in the opposite way today. But you know that they can't back up what they're doing virtually with any verses without taking them out of context and without misunderstanding them. 
so often the case. Now we're going to some verses today that are so often taken out of context, like I said earlier. They're twisted and they're used to back up the theology of the world today. Yeah, we're going to see it. And it's all theological ideas. It's all theological ideas. It's, it's one, of those, these, one of these molds that we spoke about earlier. Yeah, one of these molds that we've got to, we've painted this mold for ourselves now, that we've got to go out there and win the unredeemed. That's one of the massive molds in the Christian theological systems of this world today. And hopefully we're going to crack it today. Yeah. By going to, by what the scriptures think. Yeah. Not what the molds say. Because that's all it is. It's a theological idea. It's a theological idea. Now, will that, be, will that be easy for us to do that? Absolutely not. It will not be easy for you to do it in your mind, for me to do it in my mind, never mind the minds of those theological people outside. It will not be easy. Yeah. But you know, Jesus never said it would be. <laughs> that was a bit of a clue for us. Yeah? He said it wasn't going to be easy. It wasn't easy for him. Do you think it was easy for him to stand in front of these scribes and the Pharisees who had all their suitcase packed, ready to go and get that other proselyte, ready to jump on the ferry and tell them, hold on, once you've got that guy, you're going to make him twice the son of hell that you are. <laughs> that was not easy. Despite what we think. We read over it, just one verse. We think it's easy. It's not easy. Yeah. So, if you're into an easy ride, you're on the wrong bus, aren't you? You don't want to jump on Jesus' bus if you're looking for an easy ride. And it's going to be a very rough ride for all of us. So fasten your seatbelts. Yeah? And by the end of these next few weeks, you might get a little bit carsick. Yeah? So bring a bag with you maybe next week. So if you continue listening to these sessions that we're going to get into, it's going to get harder to listen to. So I'm warning you up front. Yeah? It's going to get harder to listen to. Because we're going to focus more and more on you and I. You and I. Not those on the outside, but you and I. What are we to be doing? Because one of the things that's coming clear to me over the last few weeks as we got into this gospel session, yeah, or series. Do you remember when the disciples asked Jesus, what are the signs of the times? Remember that? Oh, he said, watch out for deceit. Who's he talking to? He's talking to the redeemed. But not just the redeemed, but remember we talked about earlier, it's the redeemed who had eyes to see and ears to hear. What's he telling them? Watch out for deceit. And that can be so subtle. And that's the only deceit I'm concerned about teaching from here. This deceit that will trick you and the deceit that will trick me, who are redeemed, who have eyes to see and ears to hear. Are there loads of redeemed people out there? There are. And they will fall into deceit. That scriptures are so clear on that. Why? Because he told us it's a broad gate. There's going to be many on that path. But I'm talking about a narrow gate. And I'm going to be talking about a gate you have to strive into. Where do you think Satan's focus is? It's not on the outside. It's on those who have eyes to see and ears to hear. And who are the redeemed and who are heading for the kingdom of Jesus Christ. And he wants to minimize that inheritance in that kingdom. Believe me, if they're already deceived, if the majority of the redeemed are already deceived, and they're teaching the stuff that I quoted earlier, he does not have a lot of work on his hands. His to-do list is really short in that area. Keep going, guys. Keep teaching that error. They ain't going to get anything. But those who are on the path those who are redeemed, those who have eyes to see and ears to hear, boy, is he focused on them. And the subtlety he's addressing to these people in that area of the narrow gate is phenomenal. And we're going to see it over the next few weeks. If you listen. Yeah. And you know, listening to it, guys, and doing absolutely nothing about it, yeah, is unlikely to give you any problems in this life. Yeah? So if you do want an easy ride, that's the way to go. Go with the many. Go with the many. That will be an easy ride. Yeah? And we'll be covering that, as I say, in the sessions coming up. But, again, it's not going to be easy to listen to. So you've got the warning up front. Yeah? I think, you know, we should start putting some health warnings on these teachings, don't you? Listening to this could damage your health. 
and your wealth. We'll see it as we get through. <laughs> so, you know, if you want to bail out, this would be a good time to do it. Yeah. But if you don't, if you want to understand what Jesus Christ was talking about, when he talked about striving to enter in, when he talked to the, 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 those who had eyes to see and ears to hear about deceit, tune in. So let's go to Hebrews. Now remember we saw in the last session that our high priest Jesus Christ today only make a propitiation for his people. That's so important for us. It's those who come before the throne of grace. Do you know any people not doing that? <laughs> Guys, they're in the majority. I would put all my money on it. Not a lot. I would put all my money on it that that is a minority. That he is waiting for the redeemed to do that more and more every day. Yeah, Hebrews 2 and in verse 8. Putting everything in subjection under his feet, now putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside his control. At present, we... Now, remember, we, last we were together, it's really important that we understand the we's, isn't it? The ours. Yeah? Who's he talking about? This is not... We can't suck this out of context and say this is for everybody. Because we know this is to his holy brother's story. At present, we do not see everything in subjection to him, but we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. And we go, hallelujah, the world's saved. <laughs> it's not for everyone. Why do we know it's not for everyone? I said it a few minutes ago. He said it would be few, didn't he? So it's not for everyone. The world is not now saved. He hasn't taken away the sin of the world. We know that he come, when we come before the throne of grace, yeah, we're redeemed by his blood, but we come before the throne of grace to get forgiveness of our ongoing sin. So he hasn't taken away the sin of the world, and he never does until they get redeemed by God, and until they come to the throne of grace and confess that sin to him with a pure heart and clean open hands. Yeah? so important we understand that. So we've got to understand the we. So we should be asking the question, right, as we read the scriptures, who the we are. Is the we talking about the whole world? Of course it's not talking about the whole world. It's obvious to us. But we're going to see that verse 9, when it says, he might taste death for everyone. We're going to get to who the everyone is, right? And it's not talking about the whole world. So, just think about it, just lo even logically, just for a minute. Right? Is everyone in the whole world going to benefit from the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ? Absolutely not. Have you read Revelation? <laughs> yeah? No, the whole world is not going to benefit from that. And we don't even, most of us don't even think of that for a minute. But we have still got these theological ideas in our heads that Jesus came to save the world. And yet Christendom is continuing to teach that that he died his death for everyone. No, he didn't. He did not. We saw it the last time we were together. He died for his sheep. Remember that? Remember we got into the sheep? He gave his life for the sheep. Not everyone. Yeah? So when we read, so that the, by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. Look at he, the, how he might is communicated in the word. It's in the aorist, middle, subjunctive mood. Now what does that mean? Well, we're going to look at it in a couple of familiar places, the same tense used, yeah, so we can get a feel, because it says he might. He might. Don't read over these words. Yeah? Look at 1 Corinthians 9.23. Now this is a really familiar section to us, isn't it? We did a whole ses series of sessions on will you be disqualified, where we looked at the Apostle Paul and why he said so that he wouldn't be disqualified. And we thought, hold on a minute. The greatest apostle of Paul, apostle that ever walked the face of the earth, is concerned about himself getting disqualified. We better figure out what, that, what he's talking about. And in verse 23 of chapter 9 says, I do it all for the sake of the gospel. Now, hold on. This is the same gospel. Right? This is not a different gospel. We're not into Paul's gospel now. We've been through all that. Yeah? That I, what? May... Share with them in its blessings. That may is in the same tense as what we read about he might. Let's keep reading. Verse 24. Do not 
Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives a prize? So run that you may, same tense, right? Aorist, in fact, this one is that actually aorist active subjunctive, and active is, uh, represents the subject as doing the acting, but it's a similar tense. Verse 20, that they may obtain it. So to obtain it, there has to be some activity by the subject. So verse 25, every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body. I keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should, aorist middle subjunctive, the same tense as we read about, that he might taste death for everyone. Who has he tasted death for? It's for those who are redeemed yeah, by God. And then he goes on to say, to others I myself should be disqualified. That is so important. So, just to break that down, aorist is undefined as to the progress of the completion of the action. Why is that? Because he continues to make intercession for us, doesn't he? In the holiest of holies. Middle, voice represents the subject as acting with reference to himself and subjunctive is as he expresses the idea of probable completion of the action of the verb with the possibility of the action of the verb failing to be completed. Because not everyone is going to come to Jesus Christ. Not everyone is going to be redeemed by God. And not everybody, once they are redeemed by God, are going to walk as faithful redeemed. Yeah? Some of them aren't going to turn up. Remember Leviticus. Some of them are going to get cut off. We've seen that in the scriptures. Now remember why we're looking at these sections. We're trying to clarify who Jesus Christ's death is referring to in Hebrews 2.9, aren't we? Because what he said was in Hebrews 2.9, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. Yeah. So when Jesus died, was he dying for the whole world? Of course not. Why? Because we know the world is going to hate him when he returns. It did not love him the first time, did it? And it will hate him even more the next time he turns up. When you read the book of Revelation. Yeah? And believe me, the book of Revelation you can stake your life on. Yeah? It's the revealed word and will of God. But there's a, a huge clue, and we often forget this, that Jesus said it will be what? Phew! Phew! So what in the world doesn't tie in with what Jesus said, does it? Because that would not be a few. That would be a huge amount. Billions of people. But he said it's a narrow path and there will be few that strive to enter into it. Yeah. So, so key that we understand that. Look at Hebrews 3.1. Because Hebrews is addressed to these guys. Or hopefully you guys and myself. Yeah. Therefore, holy brothers. Who is the everyone? The Holy Brother. Yeah. You who share in a heavenly calling. That's who he died for. Consider Jesus the Apostle and High Priest of our confession. Do you see the way you've got to read these things in the context? So we can't suck out this verse 9 of chapter 2 and say Jesus died for everyone. But that's what happens. That's what we so often do. He only died for the redeemed. And he continues today to only intercede for God's redeemed. Those of God's redeemed who come to him and confess their sin to him with an open, pure heart, who are endeavouring to walk in light. Don't forget that. That's a tag-on. It's not a tag-on. It's those of us who are endeavouring to walk in light. We fall short of that walk, of walking in light, and we go to him and ask for forgiveness of our sin. This is not talking about you clearing your conscience and feeling better because you told God, Jesus that, you know, the sin you did last night, and then you go on to walk in darkness again the next day. Yeah? But that's what many people teach. The only reason we have a high priest is so you can clear your conscience and can live a happy life. Well, the judgment seat of Christ, we're going to find out how happy that life's going to be in the future. It ain't going to be happy. If the scriptures are any to go by, and they are. The many will refer to in, is the Gospel of John. They're going to refer you, and they're going to head for the Gospel of John to teach something in these sections that the sections are not communicating. So, 
The first thing we should all do whenever we go to a specific verse is to be very clear on the context, isn't it? So when we read a verse of scripture, and we're going to read John 3.16 just now, yeah? Because guess what that does? It contradicts virtually everything I've said up to now. And guess who's talking? Jesus talking. Because when it's sucked out of context, it's misunderstood. And there's denominations built on this. You ever go on the hockey game and you see John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting. Ever seen that? You bet we have. You probably all memorized it. Like I have. So let's read the verse. And then we're going to start to familiarize, uh, familiarize, it's easy for you to say that, familiarize ourselves with the context. With the context. John 3.16. For God so loved, who? The world. Fantastic. That he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. So we go out there, bombard the, the outsiders with verses, don't we? Got to believe this. Got to believe in Jesus. And just believe in Jesus one time and you enter age lasting life. So, what do many people read into that verse? That God loves the world. We're going to see so clearly in Scripture that God does not love the world. First of all, there should be a real alarm bell going off in all of our hearts. That's the only verse of Scripture that says that. In the whole of the Bible, between Genesis 1 1 and Revelation 22 21, that's the only one that talks about. God loving the whole world. Now you'd think if it was, if this was so important, he'd at least said it twice, wouldn't you? Just in case we miss it the first time. You see God in the scripture sometimes repeating things multiple times in the same context because he wants us to get it. Because we don't get it so often. Yeah? And we certainly don't get this verse as, we, as we're going to see today. Before we look at this whole context of this verse, Let's quickly look at who God does say he loves. Yeah? Look at Deuteronomy. Just so we get a little bit of background. Yeah? So that way we understand when we get to John 3.16, start to understand it, we understand who God does love. Because he specifically talks in the scriptures. We're going to go to Deuteronomy, a really clean part of your Bible. Way at the beginning, yeah, thought start, well, if he's going to tell us, it's going to be real close to the front. Yeah? Deuteronomy 7.9, Know therefore that the Lord your God is God. The faithful God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him. And, is that in red in your notes? Should be. And keep his commandments. Who does God love? The world? Have you looked at the world recently? They're so far away from keeping God's commandments, it makes you dizzy. It makes you not want to be in the world. And it goes on to say, to a thousand generations. So who does God love? Those who love him and keep his commandments. Yeah? Does that ring any bells with anybody when Jesus was on earth? He kind of said the same thing, didn't he? Quick look at the New Testament. I thought, well, if you start in the beginning, maybe we should go towards the end as well. Yeah? Look at Romans chapter 2, verse 7. To those who by patience and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality should be imperishability, should be translated imperishability, because it's an imperishable body we get, isn't it? When he comes back, and at a future time, following the kingdom, we get immortality, right? So it's imperishability. He will give eternal life. An un undetermined period of time of life. Now look at verse 8. We should stop reading there, shouldn't we? Because that sounds really cool. Because yeah. most people stop reading at John 3.16. You know that. That's the that's context for them. Because it suits their mold. It suits what they want to believe. But look what verse 8 says. Color, red. Yeah. But, for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth. Now, we immediately put that, we look through our stained glass windows and look at people on the outside to get, oh, that's them. We're in here with our Bibles. We've got our hands in the air. We're singing the songs. It's those outside. No. Romans 1.7 is addressed to the redeemed. For those who are self-seeking. Do you know anybody self-seeking than are redeemed? Could be. Don't, don't shout out a name. <laughs> right? Self-seeking. And do not obey the truth. Do you know anybody redeemed who is not obeying the truth? Don't, no, don't shout out. Right? But we do know some, don't we? And what's the truth? The gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
So that really pulls in a few who think they're walking in the truth. But obey unrighteousness. There will be wrath and fury. There will be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil, the Jew first, and also the Greek. Do you see the contrast? Those who love God seek for glory and honor and immortality. He will give that life, that undetermined period of time in the coming future. But for those who don't, there's a whole pile of people falling into that category, by the way. Yeah, if you read Revelation, read the book of Revelation and see what happens. So let's be under no illusion that God loves the world. He loves those in verse 7, not those in verse 8. <laughs> Get it? He loves those who love him and keep his commandments. So back to John 3. Now we have to understand John 3.16 in its context, don't we? In its context. What is the whole picture of John 3.16? Around it. Let's not suck it out of its context and say, yeah, this is what I like to believe. Uh, Jesus is out to save the world. And we're going to be part of that. Let's read the context. Let's read the context. And when you get home, start in chapter 1, verse 1. That's the context. And keep reading until you get to the end of the chapter. Not the end of the verse, 1, 1. <laughs> yeah? Keep reading right till the very end. And then when you finish that, start at verse 1 again. And build a picture of what the context is around this verse. Fantastic. But you know, very few of you will do that today. Because it's not important enough. <laughs> yeah? And so few of us will read the scripture because we don't think it's important enough. Well, we have to. We have to. Because we have to know who Jesus is talking about. Don't we? We have to understand these sections of scripture. Take the time. Take the effort. Most of us will spend more time going to a movie than reading John chapter 3. Yeah? Today. So we have to do it. So, there's so often a clue, isn't there? When we look at the scriptures and we see who is Jesus talking to, yeah, that gives us a fantastic insight into the subject and into the context, both immediate and remote context of what this verse is talking about when we read it. So that it fits in with all the rest of scripture. Because right now, it doesn't fit in. It's contradicting what we just read in Deuteronomy, isn't it? If he loves the whole world, that means he loves all people in the world. Sinners, non-sinners, those who walk in light or those who walk in darkness. That contradicts what we just read. So there should be alarm bells, but because of the molds that we build around our lives and in our thinking, we don't allow these truths into our hearts. Think, oh, well, that's got to be right. You know, Jesus, oh yeah, Jesus does. He loves the whole world. Unconditionally. You've got to ask people for these verses. Seriously. I have something to back that up. Now, just think back to the verses we read in Romans. And immediately, alarm bells should be going off. Yeah. But keep them in your mind, right? That God hates the evil of the world, doesn't he? We just we read it. Yeah. He hates those the disobedient, those walking in darkness. The evil of disobedience. Have you looked at how much obedience there is to God and his commandments in the world? It won't take you a long time to figure that one out. Yeah. Just turn on the news. You don't have to move out of your armchair. So whenever we read a verse, we should always look at the beginning of the book that we're reading. Yeah? Particularly in the context of that particular book that we're reading. If we're in Matthew, start reading in Matthew. If we're in Luke, guess where we look? Luke. Look to Luke. Right? So we're going to start in John 3.1, but we're not going to get all the way through. We're going to read the first verse. Yeah? Now there's a huge clue here. A massive clue that most people miss is in verse 1 of chapter 3. Not 1, 1. We're only in chapter 3, 1, which is next door to 3.16, isn't it? Because it's in the same conversation that he's having. But look who he's talking to. And not only who he's talking to, but look who he's talking about. That's so important. Yeah? John 3, 1. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the who? the Jews. So that immediately puts it in context who he's talking to. This is the teacher of Israel. Guess who he's talking about? Guess what the context is all about? 
There are no rewards for getting this question right. It's rhetorical. Yeah? It's the Jews. It's Israel. It's the context of John 3.16. Yeah? We're going to see it. So right there's the audience. Now we didn't... He, look at this. Jesus didn't need to hire GM Stadium, did he? Chase was there the other night. Yeah? He did, thousands of people there. He just needed one chair. It was easy for him to set up his stadium, wasn't it? Oh, I'm, I'm, going to, I'm going to preach to all the people tonight. Give me that chair. <laughs> yeah. Oh, well, they're all coming out tonight. Give me 12 chairs. Because yeah. when he talked to the multitudes, remember we looked at that, and he started to, he started to sort them out. Hey, multitude, if you're going to follow me, you're not going to have a place to put your head. Okay, it's down to a small crowd now. <laughs> yeah. And not only that, but you're going to have to laud me above your parents, your friends, your family. Oh, the crowd's getting smaller again. We're down to a 12-seater bus now. Don't need a lot. Yeah. So, here's the audience. Now, before we go to the verse, yeah, I want to be clear that who's Jesus' audience. And the central focus on his world. Did you get that? His world were the redeemed of Israel. Remember, we've seen that in the series already. He came only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. There's a huge clue there for us who John 3.16 is talking about. Now, let's look elsewhere. Right here in John, by the way, because we've got to figure it out here in John. Yeah, We have to stay in John to understand the world. The world Jesus is referring to when he talks in John 3.16. Let's go to John 18. John 18.19 says, Meanwhile, the high priest questioned Jesus about his disciples and his teachings. Does that sound familiar? Yeah? The religious guys are questioning him. Verse 20. Now, listen to this. This is Jesus' reply to them questioning. I have spoken openly to the world. Jesus replied. And you think to yourself, fantastic. How did he do that? Did he have a website? What's he streaming on Ustream? <laughs> How the heck could he be speaking to the world? We should be asking ourselves that, shouldn't we? Yeah, you know, he's there. Did he have broadband? You know, maybe God snuck it in. You know, he was Jesus. No. He's going to go on. We've got to keep reading. Because he's going to explain to us who his world is. Jesus replied, I always taught in the synagogues or at the temple where all the Jews hang out. He just explained to us who his world was. Wasn't the whole unbelieving Gentile world all around the world? No. Because who do you talk to when you get into a Jewish temple? I'll tell you who. Only Jews who are redeemed. Only Jews, I should say. Maybe some of them could walk in unredeemed, I guess. But only Jews. He wasn't bumping into the rest of the world. Believe me. It was sacrilege. Paul was accused of that in the book of Acts. Of taking Gentiles into the temple. And they persecuted him for it. They were chasing him all over the countryside. Because they, were, they believed that he had done it. See we don't get that in this culture today. Because we don't live in a Jewish temple culture. Yeah. So he said I always. Now hold on. Always. Always. Guess what that means? Always. Always. I always taught in the synagogues or at the temple. That's where my world hangs out. And I said nothing in secret. Wow. So, his audience was the same audience in John 3 1. Nicodemus, the teacher of Israel. Yeah. John 12 17. Now, the crowd that was with him when he called Lazarus from the tomb and raised him from the dead, continued to spread the word. Now look at this, verse 18. Many people. Are you reading these verses? Put them in a bit of bold type so you get them. Many people. Don't forget that. Many people. Because they had heard that he had given this miraculous sign, went out to meet him. Now, where is he? He's in Israel, isn't he? He's teaching to the redeemed. Right? Verse 19. So the Pharisees said to one another, See, 
This is getting us nowhere. Look how the whole world has gone after him. Now, was the whole world chasing around Jesus? No, they weren't. The whole world, we just read it in verse 18, were the many people who had gone out to see him. His world were the redeemed of Israel. John 17, 14. I have given them your word, and the world has loved them. No, the world has hated them. How can we reconcile John 3.16 that God loves the world when the, Jesus Christ, when he was on earth, said that I have given them your word and the world has hated them. For they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. You see, verse 15, my prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Are you keeping John 3.16 in the back of your mind? That is not referring to the evil world. That is referring to Jesus Christ and his world, who are the redeemed of Israel. So John 3.16, in fact the whole of John 3 is referring to Israel. Watch the whole context. Nicodemus, the teacher of Israel, Jesus Christ talking to the redeemed, always in the synagogues, always in the temple. Yeah? He's talking to his world. He's talking to the redeemed of Israel. But what do people do? They suck that John 3.16 out and they superimpose it on the whole world. That is error, guys. That is handling the word of God deceitfully. That is twisting the scripture. That is throwing scripture into your mold and making it mean what you think it should mean regardless of what it's teaching. And that may be what you think and that may be what they think. That's not what the scriptures are declaring as we go through these. But you know what you have to do to believe this? You have to break a mold. And that is not easy. You've built up your life, built up your theological systems, built up your friends, family and all the people around you to believe in some of this stuff, it is not easy to drop it. And I'm not saying it is easy. And you will not do it without the help of God Almighty to do it. Because remember we talked about the eyes to see and the ears to hear. You know that's a God thing. That's a God thing. That's divine intervention. Matthew 11, 27 tells us that. You will get it revealed to you according to you being chosen by him for it to be revealed to you. Read Romans 9. It's a really good verse. Really good chapter, I should say, to read when you get home. Okay, let's go to another John. First John, way the bank of your Bible. First John chapter 2, verse 15. Do not love the world. Oh, hold on a minute. One minute he's telling us in John 3:16 he loves the world, and now he's telling us not to love the world. Make up your mind, God. No, it fits in exactly with what he said in John 3:16 when we understand John 3:16 in this context. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Oh, does that sound like a contradiction or what? So if I don't love, if, if I love anything in the world, the love of the Father is not in me. Not a place you want to be. <laughs> not a place you want to be. Verse 16. For everything in the world, the cravings of sinful man, the loss of his eyes, and the boasting of what he has and does, comes not from the Father, but from where? The world. Do you know who the God of this world is? Yeah, we do. Satan. Scripture's very clear on that. Verse 17. The world and its desires pass away, but the man who does the will of God lives forever. Fantastic. So do, do you know, would you like to put your hand up if you think God loves the world? <laughs> yeah? God does not love the world. He loves those who do the will of the Father. Those who walk in truth, those who walk in his precepts, those who walk in his commandments, he loves. Yeah. Daniel 9. Daniel 9, 4 says, I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession. What a fantastic thing to do. We should do it every day of our lives. Saying, Lord, the great and awesome God, who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those, remember, 
You love him and keep his commandments. You love him and keep his commandments. John 17, 6. I have manifested your name to the people who you gave me out of the world. Yeah? Do you realize we've been sucked out of the world, called by God, redeemed by God. Yeah? Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. John 10, 14. I am the good shepherd. I know my own sheep, and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me, I know the Father, and I lay down my life for who? The sheep. We talked about that earlier. It's the sheep. Hebrews 2.17 Therefore, we have had to be like his brothers in every respect, so that he might, yeah, again, same tense, become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. Look at night. Because it's conditional on us coming before him. And why is it might? Because firstly, it's open only to the redeemed. Right? Somebody has to get redeemed by God before they can come before the high priest. Yeah? And secondly, it's might because not all the redeemed turn up. You figure that out. Not all the redeemed turn up to that throne of grace to ask for forgiveness. Because most of them don't think it's necessary. They're being taught that Jesus has taken all of their sin from them as a one-time event. When they held up their hand in the meeting, and now it doesn't matter what they do in this life, they've been cleansed of that sin. Not what the scriptures teach. It might be what their church teaches, it might be what the theology they've been taught, but it doesn't tie in with scripture. Otherwise, do you know what Jesus is doing? Absolutely nothing. That's not what the scriptures teach, is it? If you've been cleansed of all your sin, if you do not need to confess your sin as you walk in your walk, what's he doing? He's redundant. He's in his lazy boy. In the holiest of holies, doing nothing. Is that what the scriptures teach? Absolutely not. Yeah, but that's what Christianity teaches by teaching that. Because they see it, they see him in the holiest of holies to give them a good feel factor in their conscience. I've read that. I've read that. Because if you and I don't take this current ministry of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ, that ministry of our High Priest seriously, the Scriptures state only one other option. It was the same option we saw in Leviticus. You will get cut off. You will get cut off. Do any of the parables ring any bells in any of our minds? Absolutely. Remember the guy in the wedding feast? Remember the five virgins who were foolish yeah they got cut off they didn't get into the kingdom because they thought they had made the preparation but they came in the broad gate in fact Jesus said remember when you were talking about the sheep you, you who are you you came in a different way no no you were supposed to come in the narrow gate you were supposed to strive agonizomai but you didn't so therefore you're not getting in Hebrews 9.24 for Christ has entered, not into holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of our God on our behalf. On whose? Our behalf. So do you think Jesus is in the holiest of holies for the whole world? No, he's not. He's there on our behalf. Who's the our? It's the redeemed of God who are faithful to turn up. Right? There are those in Hebrews 3.1 who are partakers of the heavenly calling and who love God by their obedience. Got to understand this stuff. Got to take the time and the effort it takes to understand this stuff. Because do you think that's the whole world now? I hope not. Otherwise I'm wasting my breath. It's not the whole world. It's those who are redeemed, those who are faithful, those who are obedient, who come before the throne of grace with clean hands and a clean heart and confess their sin. Because that, do you think that's the whole world? You must be looking at a different world than I look at every day in my work and every day in my leisure time. There's leisure time. <laughs> yeah? Because do we realize the whole armies gather in Armageddon, yeah? To destroy Jesus Christ when he returns. Do you think God loves the world? I know he doesn't. I know the world he does love. He loves the redeemed. Faithful, those who have eyes to see and ears to hear, who endeavor to walk in light, 
who endeavour to walk in his commandments, who come before that throne of grace, understanding that they have to confess their sin, understanding the function of our Lord Jesus Christ as our high priest, those are those he loves. Yeah. So we're going to finish off reading John 3.16. Right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, and whoever believes in him should not perish but have life that is undetermined period of time. Probably going to carry on from here next week when we look at some of the references to all A-double-L in the scriptures. So Heavenly Father, we thank you for the greatness of your word. Thank you, Father, for having called us and having given us eyes to see and ears to hear, Father, and that we can continue in the truth of your scriptures, understanding that they are truth, not necessarily what we've been taught or the theological systems we've been brought up in. We have to come back to what do the Holy Scriptures say. And I thank you for that and for continuing to inspire us in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.